Good morning. Today's scripture reading is found in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'll be reading from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard and what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning, Trinity. Thank you guys for coming, and if you are joining us online, thank you all so much for being with us. I hate that we had to miss the service last Sunday. Um, Last week, my wife's grandmother passed, and we needed to be with family, and uh, she just lives up in Cleveland, um, Georgia, so it wasn't too far, and um, it was just such a wonderful time with family, and um, she was such a wonderful woman who loved the Lord dearly. She loved her church, Mount Yona Baptist Church, and she deeply, deeply loved her family. Uh, as we arrived at my aunt's house, it was so neat because we walked inside, and the whole family was just sitting around the living room, and there were boxes and boxes and boxes of pictures that they were all able to go through, just years and years of memories and, and uh, just great stories. There was a lot of laughter, a lot of making fun of each other. Um, there was a lot of tears shed. And um, as my head hit the pillow to go to sleep that night, my heart was just full of joy, and I began praising God and my spirit for two things. One, I knew that Nanny Nett was with her Savior. She had made it home. And um, for death of anyone that is in Christ, it is a beautiful thing. And um, so that was one thing. The other thing that I was just so thankful for is just the gift and the grace of family. Family is a gift that the Lord has given to us that is just so precious. 
And so today is Father's Day, and um, if you are a father in here, I pray and I hope that you are able to spend time with your family today. I pray that you are able to enjoy them. And as we, as believers, when we get together and we're able to enjoy our family, it is an honor to God. He is the one that designed it. He is the one that came up with it. And when we enjoy our family, it brings him honor. So enjoy your family today. Fathers, you are important, and we want to thank you for everything that you do. And Dad, if you're watching, I love you, and um, thank you for everything that you've done for me. This, this morning, or actually yesterday, my daughter gave me my Father's Day gift, and there is nothing that can take the place of things like this. It even has a kickstand on it, so it can sit up just right. And So um, she did such a good job. So this morning, I kind of feel like the old preacher that said, I hope y'all brought a snack because we may be here for a while. Um, there, is, there is a lot in this passage, and um, so I feel like we need to, I need to give you a disclaimer. Acts 5, our passage today, is a tough passage, and it is a tough look at personal sin, especially sin within the church. Now, throughout this sermon, I want you guys to remember the song that we just sang a few, a few minutes ago. Our sin is, is many. Our sins may be many, but His mercy is more, right? Can we all say amen? His mercy is more, right? So we're going to be talking about sin a good bit today, but we've got to keep in mind that His mercy is more than our sin. And as I begin this message, I kind of want to set the tone with you guys with asking two questions. One... Is there anything in this world as frightening as sin? Is there anything in this world more frightening than sin? And two, what is your attitude towards sin? What is your attitude towards your personal sin? Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, as we open your word this morning, I pray that you open our hearts. Lord, I am a sinful man and I am giving this message. And Father, I pray that it is not mine. I pray that it is yours. So Father, if there is anything that is mine, may it burn away in, the, in our minds. But Father, if there is anything that is yours, may it just be etched on the stone of our heart, Father. May we, may we live it and proclaim it, Father. Be with us as we open your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So in the 1930s, was a dictator named Joseph Stalin. You guys may have heard of him. He was, he was determined to wipe out private farms in the Ukraine. And he was doing his best to wipe out the entire population. Actually, he was doing his best to put the entire population into Soviet-controlled communes. And to accomplish this, he put in policies that would ultimately wind up starving millions and millions of people. And so in the West, meanwhile in the West, while this was happening, a man named Walter Durante, he was awarded a Pulitzer Prize in 1932 for his coverage of the Soviet Union under Stalin. And history now shows that Durante's New York Times articles, they were just full of lies. He said things like, the conditions are bad, and these are quotes, by the way, and the conditions are bad, but there is no real famine. Any report of a famine in Russia is today an exaggeration or malignant propaganda. 
There is no actual starvation or deaths from starvation. And there is no famine or actual starvation, and nor will there likely be. Durante's coverage of Stalin's actions assured that many that there was no real crisis going on in the world, and there was no real need for any assistance or intervention. And many people believe that Durante's untruthful work contributed to the death of millions and millions and millions of people. Lies are terrifying. Sin is terrifying. In 2009, a man named Bernie Madoff was sentenced to 150 years in prison. Why was he sentenced to prison? In his own words, he says this was just one big lie. Well, how big was this lie? And what was his crime? The lie started in the 1980s when Madoff decided to, to defraud his investment clients. And he started accepting money from individuals and hedge funds and charities and pension funds, really anybody that would give him money. And he always promised this great return. The only problem was that Bernie Madoff started the world's largest Ponzi scheme. It was one big, ugly pyramid. And one investor right after another poured their money into Madoff. And they trusted that he could do with it as he promised. And it wasn't until 2008 that the scam was uncovered. And when he talked to the authorities, one of the first things out of his mouth was, there really is no innocent explanation for this. When Madoff, when Madoff said that this was just big, one big lie, he really meant it. And the, during the, the life of this lie, Bernie was able to take out $65 billion dollars from people. $65 billion over the course of this lie. Lies and sin is terrifying. It has changed the world. And history records that there is another terrifying lie. And this lie is the first lie. It's the lie that started all lies. And this lie has brought about more death and destruction than any other lie in human history. And it's recorded for us in Genesis 3. The book of Genesis is history, and so we don't need to read this interaction as just some fancy story or fable. This interaction here is real history. So in chapter 1, we read how God created the heavens and the earth, and in chapter 2, we read how God created man and woman, and that everything was perfect. It was exactly as it should be. But in chapter 3, perfection crumbles because of a lie. You see, in chapter 2, the Lord gives man a command. So let's look at it. It's chapter 2, 15 and 17. We'll have it up on the screen. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This command right here, it is clear and concise. No confusion. You eat of the tree, you're going to die. It's clear. So what happened just one chapter later? That was chapter 2. Now we're in chapter 3. Here we find the serpent having a conversation with Eve. Now listen to how the serpent took the clear and concise command of God from chapter 2 and then lied about it and twisted it in chapter 3. Chapter 3, 1 through 5. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The Bible records that because of this serpent, Eve was convinced that eating this fruit was good and wise and delightful. It was going to be good for her and good for life. But was that the case, church? No, it wasn't the case. But I want you to think of every hardship in your life, every sin that you hate, every evil you despise, every tear you cry, every pain you feel, every war that this world has experienced, every divorce, every unkind word, every addiction, every form of pride and selfishness, every untruth, every single sin has its origin right here in the garden with Adam, Eve, a serpent, and one big lie. You'll not surely die. You will be like God. And all throughout the Bible, we're reminded of the fall in Genesis 3 and the terrifying consequences of sin. And that was, we, we just read a second ago from Genesis 3, right? So if we jump all the way over to Romans 5.12, here we find about the fall again. It says, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, sin came into the world through Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Trinity, looking at Scripture, I can think of nothing scarier than sin, especially sin among God's people. And I love the book of Acts. I love that we've been walking through it over the past month. It's just been a tremendous blessing kind of having these reminders. And up to this point, we've seen amazing things, right? We've seen the church become organized. We've kind of seen the skeleton of the church come to, come to be. We've seen the apostles speak with boldness. We've seen many people get healed. We've seen many, many people get saved and people added to the church. We've seen the purity and the preciousness and the purpose of the church. And these have been four great power-packed chapters. And then we get to our text today, chapter 5. Chapter 5, when we read it, there's like this obvious shift that happens in the story. It's as if like the dark clouds roll into the story and we see Satan at work within the hearts of people within the church. And this is a stark contrast to the previous chapters. Church, listen, the same serpent deceiver that we saw in Genesis 3, he shows up again here in our end to the world. In Acts 5, we read of sin entering into the church. And both times in Genesis and in Acts, this sin was met with huge consequences from God. So this is a tough passage. This is a hard passage. This is a frightening passage. Acts 5, 1 through 11 is a story of yet another terrifying lie and another big sin. And they're all big, aren't they? The basic story goes like this. A married couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they together decided to sell a piece of their property. And Ananias and Sapphira decided to give a significant portion of the sale to the church. And Ananias brought that decided amount to the apostles' feet. And the problem is that they were trying to give the impression to everyone around that they were following in the footsteps of Barnabas. You remember Barnabas from the end of chapter 4? 
Now, I want you to remember that chapter numbers and verse numbers are not inspired, right? They are put there after the fact. So sometimes if we only look at chapter numbers and, and verse numbers, we are not getting the whole context. And this is one of those places that if we don't go back a little bit and look at things that came before, we're not going to understand the whole chapter of chapter 5. So in chapter 4, it concludes with the generosity of Barnabas. In chapter 4, verse 36 and 37, we read this. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which also means son of encouragement, a Levite and a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So in chapter 4, we see Barnabas give a pure and honest gift to the church, but, and that word but will become a, a key word, But in chapter 5, we see that Ananias and Sapphira gave an impure and dishonest gift to the church. And the first verse of chapter 5 is the word, but. And the use of this word, but, is how we know that the author, Luke, is trying to compare and contrast what happened with Barnabas to Ananias and Sapphira. So it's important for us to look a little bit into chapter 4 so that we can understand fully what is going on in chapter 5. So as we continue the story, Ananias brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter, he's using his discernment here, he's using the gifts that the Lord has given him, and he gathered that they wanted the whole church to believe that they too were giving the full amount the way that Barnabas had. But they didn't. They were lying to the church. They kept back some for themselves. And so Peter confronted Ananias in a sin, and the Bible tells us that he fell over dead and was immediately buried. Three hours later, his wife Sapphira came in. He was, Peter confronted her as well. And she suffered the same fate, fell dead, was carried out, and was buried next to her husband. And as I read this passage this week, there were two main questions that just plagued me over and over. And if you've read this, maybe you've had the same questions. But I just tried to find the answer to these. And one is, were Ananias and Sapphira, were they saved? Were they genuine believers? And two, how did they actually die? What was it that, who or what was it that actually killed them? So knowing whether Ananias and Sapphira were genuine believers is a tough question because we can see from this passage that they, they were at least familiar with the church and were contributors to its cause, even followers. They did make a sizable donation to the apostles, right? Even though it was made out of selfish motives, they were still counted with the church. And the Bible clearly does not answer this question. Also, how they died has left a mystery for us as well. There are some who think that they died of shock and fear when the apostles called out their sin, and then there are some who say that Peter was given the power to curse them and they died on the spot for their heinous sin. Then others say that God himself was the one who took their life. What is clear from the reading of this passage, what is clear is that these deaths are to be understood by us as the clear judgment of God upon them for their sin. They have lied to the church and they lied to God. Peter says, you not lied to man, but you have lied to God. And when you study these questions, when you look at all the commentaries and things like that, the the opinions are all over the map of what exactly happened right here. But for us as the reader, I don't know that the answer to these questions really matters all that much. And in fact, 
it may actually distract from Peter's main, or excuse me, Luke, the author Luke's main point of this passage, why he tells us the story of Ananias and Sapphira. I believe that the main point that he's trying to drive at after reading it, I believe the main point is this. Sin within the church is terrifying. Sin within the church is a terrifying thing. Two times in, first, in the first 11 verses of chapter 5, the Bible records that great fear came over the whole church because of this. Great fear. It's not just fear, but great fear came upon them. You know, growing up in Sunday school, I remember many of my teachers trying to sp- explain the word fear to me. And, you know, they don't want you to be afraid in Sunday school. That's not really the point, right? Um, I remember hearing that fear really means just reverence and awe. And in certain contexts, it certainly does. And I think really good, well-intentioned Sunday school teachers did not want me to be afraid of things that I found inside of Scripture, inside of the Bible. They didn't want me to be afraid of God. And I understand that. I truly do. But I want to show you something. As I was studying this week of Ananias and Sapphira online and just trying to see some different things and doing my study over and over and over again, these children's lessons just popped up. And this is some, just a, a little quick thing of what I found. I found this cartoon of two Ananias and Sapphira really happy up in the top left. I mean, we've even got the lunch bag pu- um, puppets over here in the top right. Um, and we've got this girl on the bottom left that is super happy. She is excited over a lot. Um, I mean, her, she, her excitement throughout this little short video was just, she was off the charts. And then we've got Buzz Lightyear and Barbie, Ananias and Sapphira, telling us about this story. And so everything that I came across on looking at children's stories on this was just so happy. Because is this a happy story? Verse 5, and great fear came upon all who heard it. Verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So this week, I finally looked up what the word fear really meant in the original language. I thought, you know, I'm not going to take my Sunday school teacher's word for it. I'm going to look it up for myself. What did it mean when Luke wrote this down? So you ready for it? It means fear. Fear means fear. But not only fear, it also sometimes means panic and terror. It means fear. It means things that are frightening. The Greek word phobos is where we get the word phobia from. And I understand it's only natural for us to want to calm the fears of those who could become afraid. But guys, this is not what Luke is doing here. The author Luke, when he records this story, he is not trying to calm the fears of believers. He's throwing it out there. Great fear came upon the church because of what happened. This is a frightening story. And the sin in the church and among believers is a terrifying thing. And the thought of our own personal sin should scare us. So this was a serious moment in the life of the church in Acts The story of Ananias and Sapphira caused genuine terror to come into the life of the church. But 
you know, why, why, was, why is this sin so serious? And I want you to see two things about the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. One, this was a sin against the internal work of God. This was a sin against the internal work of God. But it was also a sin against the external work of God. It was a sin against the internal, but it was also a sin against the external. So let's take a look at how this was a sin against the internal work of God. So it is true that all sin ultimately is against God himself. But in some sense, sin can be against ourselves, right? Against the spiritual growth that God is trying to do within us. And as I said earlier, Acts 5 does not clearly tell us whether Ananias and Sapphira were genuine believers. But it does tell us a few things. It tells us that this married couple was involved in the life of the church. It tells us that they gathered among the believers. It tells us that they were known by name amongst the people in the church and by the apostles. And it tells us that they gave of their money to the cause of the church. Now this probably describes a great many of us here today, doesn't it? Externally, Ananias and Sapphira, they looked great. What they were doing amongst the believers in the church, everything looked good from the outside in. From the outside, it looked like God was at work on the inside. But at some point, they allowed their hearts to be filled with envy, greed, and pride. Now, Peter tells us that something else also filled their hearts that day. That was Satan. That Satan, the old deceiver, the serpent, back from Genesis 3, here he is. So Peter says in Acts 5, this is is the first thing that he actually says to to Ananias. Acts 5.3, it says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Notice that Peter here starts with Satan. And remember back in John 8, Jesus says Satan is the father of lies. He's the father of lies. And this is referring back to him when, G- when Jesus said that. He's referring back to Genesis 3 when he did. He conceived a lie. Peter was probably there when Jesus said this. And I can almost imagine Peter recalling in his mind what Jesus had said that day. As soon as Ananias began his lie he was thinking he's the father of lies and even though satan is the father of lies peter does not blame this on satan peter blames this and puts this on the shoulders of ananias and sapphira and yes it is true that satan is our adversary and satan is our tempter but peter knows that satan can be resisted Look at, look at what he says in 1 Peter 5. So we're jumping to his letter now. This is at the end of, of Peter's first letter. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. He says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I want us to remember that here Peter is speaking to believers. He's telling believers, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's telling us as believers to resist him. 
And we can, in Christ, that's the key, in Christ, we can resist Satan. We are powerful enough, we are wise enough in Christ to resist Satan. Now, Peter doesn't blame this on Satan here. And so neither can you and I blame our sin and our personal sin on Satan. In verse 4 of our passage in Acts, Peter tells Ananias, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. This sinful action of Ananias was contrived. It was planned. It was, it was arranged. It was plotted. This was a premeditated action that took place first where? In the heart of Ananias. And church, listen, the Bible tells us I want you to hear this. This is important. The Bible tells us that there is something far scarier than Satan. It's our hearts. Our hearts. Jeremiah 17.9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things. Above all things. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? Guys, can we really understand our hearts and what's going on down here? I mean, we have thoughts that just pop into our mind all the time. And I don't believe that we can. There's a lot of craziness that happens down in here. And for some of you, I might prove it here in just a second. Now, there may be some of you in here that have just, you've married your high school sweetheart. You never dated anybody else. But I would imagine for the most of us in here, that is not the case. So if you think back, to the time when you were with someone else, that first love or someone that you were crazy about or, you know, the one. If you're anything like me, you look back on that and you think, what in the world was I thinking? What in the world was I going, what was going through my head? How in the world was I so blind? Like, how did I fall for that? And the truth is that our hearts deceived us. We almost had no control. Why? Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can know it? Church, let me ask you, is God at work within your heart? Has He ever changed or softened your heart? Do not sin against that. Peter tells us to resist Satan, resist the temptation. Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Why does the Bible talk about, about guarding our hearts so much and keeping our hearts? It's because our hearts lie to us. Our hearts deceive us. And in my line of work, working with, with at-risk teenagers, I have come across a lot of really, really bad liars. And in some of them, they're pretty good liars. But you know the best liar I've ever had to deal with is right inside of here. My own heart. Our hearts deceive us. Here, the story of Ananias and Sapphira show us how easy it is for us to try and justify our actions. And maybe you will identify with some of these. We'll say to ourselves, oh, you know, it's really not that big of a sin. Not that big of a sin. 
It's going to be worth it. It'll be worth it in the end. Well, we're all sinners, right? That one's scary because we're using the Bible to justify our sins. We're all sinners, right? For some of us, we say, oh, you know, this is the last time. This is the last time I'm going to do this. And we say, you know, nobody's ever going to know. Nobody will ever know. But then we compare ourselves to others and we'll say, you know, at least I'm not like that guy. At least I'm not doing what he's doing. There are people out there way worse than I am. You know, we don't really say these things out loud, right? We just say them right here. And then this one that is true that we use to justify our sin. You know, Jesus really knows my heart. Jesus knows my heart. You know, that one is true. He does know our hearts better than we do. But you know, that really isn't a comforting thought when you think about it, right? He knows what's down in here. God knows what is happening here. And he loves me anyway. Church, what sin have you been justifying in your hearts? What's the sin that you have been overlooking and not resisting? What in your heart has been deceiving you? So it is scary to sin against the internal work of God within us, but it is also equally scary to sin against the external work of God. Sinning against the church and what he is doing and trying to accomplish in his world. God's plan from the very beginning was to work in his creation through the faithfulness of his church, his people. And Christ only has one plan for reaching his world. And guys, that's us. His body, his church, that's his plan. And through the power of His Spirit and the guidance of His Word, the church and the church alone is how God accomplishes His mission in this world. I want you to see this quote because this is one of my favorite quotes of all time. This is one of my favorite things said outside of Scripture. And I want you to see this. It's said by a man named Samuel Say. And he says, Christ is the most essential person in the universe. Do we agree? And his bride, the church, is essential to him. We agree? Therefore, the church is the most essential institution in the world. Do we believe that? Christ is the most essential person in the universe. And his bride, the church, is essential to him. The church is the most essential institution in the world. The church is not just important the influence of the church is essential to this fallen world. It's essential to your families. It's essential to your marriages. It's essential to our communities. And it is essential to you. In our society today, there are very few things that are sacred anymore. And our culture has almost completely lost the importance of the church. And some genuine believers have lost how important lost sight of how important and essential the church is. But guys, it is essential because it is Christ's bride. This is how He reaches His world. Trinity, we are the body of Christ, His ambassadors to this lost world. And we did not establish the church. He did. And we are not the decision makers here because He is. 
And we are not the head of this church. He is. Years ago, Kristen and I were at my, her aunt's house. And um, she has this absolutely gorgeous home. I mean, kind of a home that you just don't want to touch anything, right? It's just beautiful. Um, and as you walk into her home, the first room off to the right is this formal dining room that is just absolutely gorgeous. And on one of her beautiful pieces of furniture, there was this yellow vase. It was beautiful. It just caught my eye. And I don't know what got into me, but I walked over there and I picked up the vase and I'm just kind of looking at it, you know, just kind of flipping it around, looking at it from all the angles. Now, some of you are already thinking, he dropped that thing. He broke it. I did not drop it. I did not break it. So I'll like put you at ease with that. But I was just sitting there looking at it from all different angles. It was so beautiful. And after a little while of holding it, my wife's cousin, she, I see her out of the corner of my eye standing at the entrance to the dining room. And she's looking at me. I have this thing like upside down in my hands looking at it. And she just looks at me like, like she had seen a ghost. And she just calmly said, can you please put that down? And so I did. And I was super embarrassed. And I gently put the thing down. What I found out later was that this piece was just extremely valuable. It was irreplaceable. It was one of a kind. It was something that I definitely couldn't afford and something that I could not fix if anything had gone wrong with it. I learned something else that day. Church, there are some things that we are not supposed to touch. There are some things that we are not to defile by putting our hands on them. And the church is one of those things. Acts 5 isn't the first time that the Bible tells us, tells us of things that we should never tr- touch. Do you guys remember the Ark of the Covenant? You go back to 2 Samuel 6, and the Ark was being moved, and Yuza reached out his hand to steady the Ark because the oxen had stumbled, right? And the Bible tells us that this simple action angered the Lord, and Yuza died immediately. Does that sound familiar to this passage that we're looking at today? Trinity, there are some things that we are not supposed to touch as believers. And Ananias and Sapphira, through their sin, they touched the church. They polluted its purity. They corrupted its fellowship. They brought lies into the pillar and foundation of the truth. What a contrast that is from our culture today, and even our churches today. Here in Acts 5, sin was taken serious, dead serious. This was a time when conviction of sin was frightening to everyone. And the church here had no hesitancy to confront and call out sin. And Peter knew that protecting the purity of the church was worth challenging Ananias and Sapphira in their sin. Church, this is hard, but isn't it true that today we are often more afraid of confrontation with each other than we are of being in full obedience to Christ? Isn't that true? Peter's desire to please God was stronger than his sphere of confrontation with man. And Trinity, the church is worth protecting. And the story of Ananias and Sapphira shows us how far God is willing to go to protect his bride. A little bit more than a month ago, I tested positive for COVID. 
My body was sick. I was sick. I didn't have a lie case. I was sick. And I was ill. And in the height of my sickness, there were just a lot of things that were just hard for me to do anymore. I just didn't have the energy or the capacity in my lungs to do the things that I would normally do. I was sick. And church, we are a body here too, right? And if you've placed your faith in Christ... You are a member of this body. And your individual spiritual health is important to the health of this body. When the whole body is healthy, guys, there are mighty, mighty, mighty things that we can do for the Lord. But when the body is full of spiritual sickness, we can hinder the external work of God in His world. And just as you desire a healthy physical body free from disease and sickness... We ought to desire a spiritual body that is free of the, of the sickness of sin. We should, all des- we should desire that all of our members are functioning properly and are fit for the task at hand. Guys, we got to remember as a church why it is that we exist. And we exist to glorify God by making Him known by all men. And we accomplish this task far better when all of our members are spiritually healthy. Guys, may we not be a people that just flippantly deal with our sin. May we never be a people that just take our sin lightly. I want you to hear this. I want you to think about this. How can we ever take anything lightly that Christ went to the cross for? How can we take sin lightly if it sent Christ to the cross on our behalf? Church, every sin that we as believers commit, every sin, is a sin against the internal work of God that He is doing within us, but it is also a sin against the external work of God that He is doing in the world. And we hinder our own spiritual growth and we hinder our church's mission. The story of Ananias and Sapphira ends with these words in Acts 5, 11, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Let me ask you this question. Does your sin concern you? I pray that we are a people that take seriously our own personal sin. The rest of our text today, It records what happens when purity is restored back to the church. So in verses 12 through 16, we read of the church flourishing once again. We read of the apostles doing many signs and wonders. We read of many people being healed. They're even brought into the street, and the Bible records that Peter heals them all. But the Bible also records this, and this this just caught me as I was studying this week. It says that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Church, let me ask you, do you desire to see the multitudes come to the Lord? Do you desire to see people come and surrender their lives to Jesus Christ? The church 
This church plays a vital role in people coming to the Lord. And I pray that we're a people, we're a church that gets excited over the thought of people coming to the Lord and people being added to the church right here at Trinity and across the, across the globe. And for this to happen, we must be a people that take serious the things that God Himself takes serious. Church, in closing, I'm going to ask you the same two questions that I started this message with. Is there anything in this world more frightening than sin? And what is your attitude towards sin, your personal sin? And guys, I know that this is a harder message. There was a lot of talk about sin and fear and death, and this just isn't an easy passage to teach. So if you're here today and you've got some questions about what all this means, I would love to stay down here and talk with you. I know Jason would. We've got elders here that have the name tags. Please reach out to one of us. And if you're here and you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible promises us this. It promises us us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise given to you. The God of the Bible is merciful and He is providing you a chance to come to Him today. And if you are at home watching this message, the same promise is true for you today. And Trinity, if you are here and you have given your life to Christ, here in a few minutes, we're going to be observing communion together. And in our message today, we talked about the terrifying effects of sin in our lives. So let's examine ourselves for the sacred moment in the life of the church. I want to end today's message by reading 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. I want to read this, one, because Peter was the one there with Ananias and Sapphira. And so you can hear his heart. You can hear what he If he could have pulled Ananias off to the side and talked to him, you can hear what he would have said. And I want you to hear this passage as though Peter himself is speaking to you. Because God's word does speak to us. And this is what it says to us. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. Throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from, your, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that, the lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Church, let's pray.
Father, we are at times brought to our knees of your holiness and our unworthiness. When we think of your goodness, Father, we can't help but notice that we are not that. But Father, you have been so kind and so merciful to us. You do not overlook your, our sin, Father, because you have sent your Son to the cross. You forgive our sin because of what your Son did on the cross. And Father, for Him, we are so grateful. Father, we pray for the health of this church and all the churches across America and the globe. Father, we pray that there is a purity brought back to its people. We pray that, Father, once again, we, we search out to understand what your holiness means. May we be a people that know that we are dealing with a, a God who is real, that is on fire. You're a roaring lion, Father. Lord, we love you. Give us hearts that understand how gracious you have been to us. And yes, forgive us of our sins. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.